You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. We're recording on Thursday, June 9th, 2016. This is episode 72. And joining me today is Editor-in-Chief of Apple Insider, Neil Hughes. Welcome, Neil. Hey, Victor. How's it going? Fantastic. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I, I think uh, everybody is very interested in WWDC. We're only a few days away now. Apple's actually pre-announced some uh, things before WWDC, so it's really all about iOS 10 and uh, Mac OS, uh, as it looks like it's going to be renamed, and then I guess to a lesser extent, tvOS and watchOS and maybe some surprise hardware announcements. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Ooh. So is it is it normal for Apple to pre-announce things ahead of WWDC? No, no. This is new for them. Um, They tend to fit what they think is appropriate in the keynote, and then little tidbits will drop afterwards in the sessions uh, as as the conference goes on. It's a week-long annual conference. Uh, But this year, they decided to let out some information ahead of time. So before we get into the rumors, we can kind of talk about what we know. And uh, those are changes to the App Store. So there are two key changes that Apple announced this week. They're going to be coming later this year, this fall, presumably alongside the launch of iOS 10. Uh, The real biggie for developers is now Apple is going to allow subscriptions for all kinds of apps and not just specific categories of apps. So games or professional-grade apps could, in theory, charge people a dollar a week, a dollar a month, a dollar a year, whatever they want to charge. And if a developer can retain that customer for 12 months, then after the one-year period, uh, their share of revenue from that subscription will go up from uh, uh, the previous cut was uh, 60, what was it, 65, 35 or 70, 30? Yeah, 70, 70 30. 30. 70, 30. Well, they will go up to an 85% share and then Apple will reduce their cut to a 15% share. Um, and then the other part of the announcement is we are, for better or worse, going to be getting search ads in the App Store. So um, Apple insists that they're doing this to help everybody, that the ad placements will be low cost. Small developers are going to be able to do it, but there's obviously a discoverability issue with finding apps on the ad app store. So you're going to uh, developers are going to be able to buy ad placement uh, when you search for a specific category. Uh, an ad will show up at the top. The ad is clearly labeled with a blue outline around it, and it says "ad." Um, but there's no well, ability it's, it's to kind of small type compared to the rest of the stuff in that that view, isn't it? Well, it, it's like when you search on Google and the ad box has a color around it. It's a different shade. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, advertising for years, even in newspapers, uh, they'll do things to make stuff look like an article, even though it's not. I mean, uh, the advertorial. Yes. A- ads um, have always just by their nature been a little bit sleazy. So, you know, Apple says that they're focused on user privacy and and all the right things that they need to say. And, of course, advocates are going to say that this is going to help solve an issue where you can't get your app discovered because it's just really hard for discoverability on the App Store. But, you know, putting search ads in your search results does have some level of benefit, but it's also kind of sleazy. Now, when when you as an indie developer try and do this, are you going to be able to use the keywords for your competitor's app name? I have, I have no idea what the process is going to be. I mean, we're going to have to see how it plays out. I would assume that, yeah, why not, right? That yeah. I, I would imagine that whatever keyword you want to use, that, that, that that's what you'll show up for. 
Wild. Now, what else do we know about WWDC? What else is coming? Oh, wait, before I get that, let me ask, is, has anyone else done this 85-15 split? Uh, so Google announced after uh, Apple made this announcement that they are going to do the same split for subscriptions, but they're not going to make uh, developers wait a year of loyalty with customers in order to get the split. So it sounds like it'll be right out of the gate. Okay. So would you say that that's more advantageous to developers on Android or or is that... Uh... I mean, can you get anybody to pay for anything on Android? Well, we'll find out. I, that's a very good question. I, you know, there are people that claim that Android does pay, but there, there are people like yourself and me and, and, and some of the rest of folks on our staff who say, show us the evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Tough question. But it's interesting that Google announced immediately after, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's competitive market and clearly reactionary, but. Do, do you expect that Apple will give up on the year requirement and, uh, and allow people to do that immediately? I mean, it depends on the overhead. Um, you know, I, I think the um, the idea of Apple continuing to get a 30% cut of someone who signs up for Netflix through Apple, uh, through an Apple device is pretty unfair. I think even Apple getting a 15% cut of that is unfair. I think, you know, I think maybe Apple should take a 30% cut for the first year and then after that take a 0% cut. Because think about it. If you download and install the Netflix app, um, what is the overhead cost for Apple on that versus the overhead cost for Netflix? Uh, Apple certainly has to host the Netflix app. Uh, and anytime that they update the Netflix app, it's going to be you know bandwidth from the App Store. But beyond that, all of the streaming, all of the content negotiations and deals and everything else on the back end, um, mm-hmm. even development of the app is all handled by Netflix. So I think even for Apple to take a 15% cut, um, is a bit much. Um, you, and you think about, you know, productivity and, and, and apps and stuff like that, like, you know, Microsoft Office, Office 365 subscription. Should Apple get a 15% cut of ongoing uh, subscriptions for a service that Microsoft is providing? Um, even even that might be too high, I think. I think yeah, it's so, a step in the right direction, so, though. Wait a minute. Let me ask this. So I, for a while, I had both my Netflix and my Hulu subscriptions uh, serviced through my Apple ID, my iTunes ID. And they renewed automatically and were, were billed to the same payments that I, that I use with my uh, Apple ID. And I eventually moved my Netflix one out of there because Netflix had a promotion or something and it would only work if you were subscribed directly through them instead of through Apple. But my Hulu subscription is still through the Apple ID. Is Apple getting a 30% out of that subscription? Yep. Hulu's making less money off you because you are subscribing through iTunes. Huh. Interesting. This is Very why you can't subscribe to certain things through the app. They make you go to the website in order to do it. Mm-hmm. So then it, as a business, you need to make the decision. Do you want to inconvenience your consumer to squeeze that last little bit out of them on the subscription? Or do you just want to eat the cost? Some companies like Netflix will eat the cost. Some companies like Amazon will make you go to their website. Or make an app not available at all for that matter. On Apple TV, but you can still get it on your iPad and your iPhone. Yes. And then airplay to your Apple TV. Correct. So, I mean, there are ways of doing it, but still, you can't subscribe to that through Amazon's app. So that way, Apple doesn't get their cut. Hmm. Yeah, I can see them having a, a problem with giving up 30% of Prime membership, for example. I mean, it's, a, it's an insane amount of money. I mean, even, even to make them wait 12 months to get a 30% cut 
for the overhead on the App Store. I mean, you know, Apple's got to make money, and I understand that. But I feel like uh, 30% cut for one-time sales, okay, then you price accordingly. But, I mean, what is the real cost to Apple here? Well, it's the cost of running, curating, and maintaining the App Store, and obviously bandwidth costs and, and storage and that sort of stuff. But other than well, that— it's it's the cost of access to all of Apple's customers. Correct. Uh, but, you know, obviously— f- it, for Apple to make money, I, I don't have a problem with Apple making money. They're a business. It's what they do. But I think taking a 30% cut ongoing is ridiculous, which is why they're reducing it to 15 But, you know, I think maybe Apple need to get more aggressive down the road and do the 15% cut for ongoing subscriptions maybe after the first month or something like that. Interesting. What else should we expect from WWDC? Well, the obvious ones are we're going to see iOS 10 and you're going to see um, Mac OS or OS 10.12, uh, whatever they're going to call it. Um, there's so a lot is, of. Is there confusion over the name there? There's been a few things published on Apple's website that show Mac OS with a lowercase m uh, in the same style as iOS, tvOS, and watchOS. Makes sense um, and would be a. Uh, you know, a smart rebranding. I, the OS 10 name has been around for what 15 years now. Um, it used to be Mac OS 10, um, and about four or five years ago, they dropped the Mac part of it and just called it OS 10. Uh, but Mac OS would be in line with the rest of the company's products. There are a lot of people that would love to see a uh, just because of the convenience of this being iOS 10 this year a uh, iOS 10 uh, kind of merging of OS 10 and iOS. Uh, I don't think you're going to see anything like that. I think you'll continue to see overlap of features and some some levels of convergence, but uh, Mac is clearly going to remain a separate platform from iOS. Okay. So beyond the, the updating of the OS that we'll see, you know, announced betas at WWDC and... Uh, begin the march towards the next release. Right. What what should we expect to see within those kinds of things? Well, I think the biggest thing you're going to see is an emphasis on Siri. The expectation for this year is Apple is well behind the game in terms of voice search uh, and voice control and 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 all those types of things, personal assistance, delivering information. Uh, you look at products like Amazon Echo. Uh, you look at the Google Assistant, which is more responsive and, and uh, offers more information and more capabilities than Siri. Uh, Siri is in need of a long-awaited overhaul um, and major enhancements in terms of what it can do. Uh, it uh, is limited on the iPhone and iPad. It's slow on the Apple Watch. It's limited on the Apple TV, and it doesn't exist on the Mac. So you'll see Siri coming to the Mac uh, this year with a new OS update, presumably. Um, and I would imagine that you're going to see a lot more cross-pollination of features from here and there. Don't be surprised if you can use your iPhone to more directly control your Apple TV and you know those sorts of things that just make logical sense. Um, in terms of home automation, controlling of content, simple tasks, stuff like that. Um, development on Siri has gone pretty slowly, and the stuff that they've added in recent years has uh, you know, been kind of no-brainer stuff. Um, I think I would expect them to continue down that avenue um, and continue to expand Siri. There have been claims that uh, they will allow Siri to answer phone calls for you and potentially dictate text messages to you, um, transcribe them into text, that sort of stuff. So, um, And you even saw a little bit of a rebranding in iOS 9 
uh, where Siri search became not just voice, but it's also that menu to the left in iOS when you swipe over. Um, so you might see Siri turning into more of a well-rounded assistant in terms of not just voice-driven, but text, data, information, however you need to get it, intelligently providing it to you. Do we think that Apple's going to introduce a standalone Siri product in the way that Google Home exists or is going to exist and the way that Amazon has their suite of uh, Echo and Alexa products? Probably not uh, this soon. Uh, there's a rumor that um, Apple is working on a standalone product, maybe something that uh, will um, m- integrate with the Apple TV, potentially a new Apple TV. Considering how infrequently Apple has updated the Apple TV, I would be surprised if uh, Apple was really planning on, um, uh, ha- you know, it- launching something imminently in that front. If they were to do something more imminently, I would have to think it would maybe connect to the USB-C port on the back of the Apple TV. That would be a way for them to expand it and have a mic that's always listening. But as we've talked about before, you know, it's a conscious decision on the part of Apple to have the Apple TV Siri remote require user interaction to be listening. You have to press the button on it. You have to hold it up and speak into it. Um, there's a creep factor there um, that... Uh, People don't like the idea of their stuff always listening to them, and so Apple makes it so you have to opt in. Um, I think that Apple is willing to make concessions on that front as culturally things become more acceptable and as things like the Amazon Echo and Google Home grow in popularity. And you can see evidence of that in the Siri, or I'm sorry, in the App Store search ads uh, that they've already announced. That's something that three or four years ago Apple would probably never have considered, but now they kind of see where there are opportunities there to enhance discoverability and things like that. So, you know, there, there's a, a back and forth when it comes to privacy versus functionality in devices. I don't think you're going to see a standalone device. I think that you'll be more likely to see something that you have to opt into, um, something that might connect to the Apple TV or maybe an entirely new Apple TV with a mic on it. But it's going to be very clear to people who have this device that, you know, it's uh, it's listening to you and, and this is what it's listening for and this is what we use it for. What else should we expect from this event? You're going to see enhancements to iOS. Um it's it's not really clear what they're going to do. You know, there's not a lot of uh, things that you can look at iOS and say, oh, this is really a must have. Uh, you know, the platform is getting to a point where it's pretty mature. So you can expect to see probably more incremental updates, uh, little tweaks and things like that. You know, one of the uh, and, and there's no there haven't been any specific rumors about this kind of stuff. But, you know, when you look at uh, things that people want, one of the one of the classic examples is some level of customization in the control center where you swipe up from the bottom of the screen. Right now, it's static. They have a flashlight. They have calculator, quick assets, to the camera, uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. Clock. Yeah. So y- you have all that stuff down there. What if you could customize it and instead of, for example, having orientation lock or uh, timer access down there, you could swap it out and put in uh, a quick jump to enabling low power mode, uh, which is right. you know a feature that I use a lot. That's something that's kind of a small but uh, significant potential change. Um, that you might see those sorts of things uh, in the works, but I don't. 
there haven't been any rumors of any major changes on that front. I think really it's Siri and then there's an expectation of big changes to Apple Maps as well. Um, just because they've had these vans driving around for, you know, a couple of years now, really, uh, collecting data, whether they're going to do some sort of a street view, whether, uh, they're going to, you know, do a huge rollout for, uh, transit or continue to slowly roll it out. Uh, you know, we had a few come out today, like Atlanta and Miami have added transit, you know, things like that. Uh, there's also Apple has invested very heavily in indoor GPS companies. So an expectation that potentially, you know, you go to the mall and they could use some sort of a, uh, eye beacon geolocation, f- uh, type technology where it would know your location inside of buildings. Uh, and allow you to get around uh, that way, something that that Google isn't really doing right now. So Maps is another area, an obvious area, along with Siri, where you could see some improvements. Beyond that, on iOS, I would just expect to see kind of tweaks, and really the same for OS X, um, and just tweaks a very mature platform and Siri integration, and how it'll be interesting to see how deep Siri goes on the Mac. So what are the rumors that we have heard? The rumors in terms of... I mean, well, we've already touched on a few of them, and just in terms yeah. of, in terms of Siri. Um, beyond that, uh, it's not really, not a lot has has really leaked out. Um, so it, it's going to be exciting to see what they have up their sleeve. You know, the fact that they pre-announced this App Store stuff, and this is you got to remember, this is a developer-focused conference. Um, you know, it has led to some hope that maybe they've got a few. Um, tricks up their sleeve uh you know there's there's apple music changes are supposed to be in the works um so it's expected that there's going to be a more intuitive user interface they're going to expand beats radio that sort of stuff um itunes on the mac is supposed to be getting an overhaul as well um that's another rumor that's out there small stuff like the ability to hide built-in apps so if you want to get rid of the compass app on your iphone you'll finally be able to do that I mean, none of those things are really game changers, I don't think. And I don't I don't think anybody should expect game changers going into this. Like uh, another logical thing, there are no specific rumors about this, but obviously you can expect some sort of improvements to HealthKit and, you know, the accompanying tools, CareKit and ResearchKit. Um, Apple has been gradually rolling out new features and health-focused features, and, you know, particularly with the uh, them trying to push the Apple Watch, it's a logical conclusion that you're going to see some sort of expansion and new capabilities given developers because again this is a developer focused conference and again apple maps you know allowing developers to tap into apple maps and do new things and create um indoor maps and and uh, location-based stuff for customers who would use that kind of stuff you know imagine uh, a mall or you know a place like you know Disney World or something like that being able to tap into Apple's mapping tools doing uh, hyper specific location stuff integration with iBeacons there's a lot of potential for some cool stuff there and this being a developer focused conference I think you can count on those kind of things in terms of beyond the software uh, the hardware is where we get a little more unclear about what's coming you know, it's interesting that you brought up Disneyland because they have their own magic band system currently in place. Right. And, uh, you know, I would be surprised to see them switch away from it so quickly. But what their magic band does is it's a sort of unique identifier for each par- each uh, each park goer. Yep. And you have to sort of use it to check in at different places. You can use it to unlock the door to your hotel, yeah. Door to the hotel, different parts of the, the park. 
And so they have a good read on where each person is within the park who's using the magic band. And that is where smartphones are going. Hyper-specific location tracking with things like iBeacons and whatever uh, has a lot of potential for not only users but for companies in terms of marketing. And, you know, one of the uses of iBeacons now is uh, if you have the app for a team installed – and uh, you go to their arena to a game and you're sitting in the nosebleeds, it might send you a push notification and say, hey, for 20 bucks, you can upgrade your seats and go sit in the lower level or something like that. They, right. they know where you are and they can sell you stuff based on that. So, you know, imagine uh, it knowing what section you're in and even what seat you're in and you can order concessions and have them come bring it to your seat. Uh, that kind of hyper-specific location offers benefits to companies and, and people trying to push product, but also to you as a consumer, the convenience of having stuff brought right to you, the convenience of being able to find your way indoors. You think about GPS, I mean, how many times you've been using traditional GPS driving down the highway and it thinks that you've exited when you haven't because GPS has a range of 20 to 30 feet that it can be off by. So if you can really start to narrow down people's location on a much more specific way than, than GPS can allow, then you can do, um, especially if you can do it indoors, then you can do all kinds of things that you can't currently do. And there's all kinds of potential there. Cool. Now, you mentioned one of the things was health and health kit. Right. And um – you know, I'm really interested in where health kit's going and where care kit's going. And, I, you know, I, I look at the news for all this stuff. So every time we run a story on it, something like cardiogram going native with a watchOS update or, or you know, someone using the watch in a new way, I'm, I'm excited about that because I have a lot of hope that the watch becomes a real health platform. Do we have any kind of indication that there's going to be watch news coming out of this event? I think you have to expect that watchOS and tvOS are going to get updates. I also think that you have to expect that watchOS is going to get more significant updates than tvOS. We don't really know at this point. We know iOS is going to get a big update. We know macOS is going to get a big update because they do every year. tvOS, technically brand new platform, even though it's kind of an extension of iOS and, and the Apple TV platform that came before it. But we didn't have an official tvOS until last fall. Um, watchOS, very much the same. We didn't have watchOS until last spring. And they updated it six months later with watchOS 2, allowing native apps. Um, given the need for rapid progression on watchOS, more so than on tvOS, I would expect much bigger changes coming to watchOS. I think that you're going to see, like you said, and as I mentioned before with HealthKit, that's obviously an area of interest for Apple and obviously a selling point for a device like the Apple Watch. You have to think that there are going to be major changes in the works for watchOS uh, coming very soon. And you can see that last year when Apple, right out of the gate, already put out watchOS 2, you know, decided that it was a big enough update to give it that 2.0 uh, level. But, I mean, it still has a lot of problems. The apps are too slow. Um, their capabilities tend to be limited. And the most interesting thing to me is going to be the problems with watchOS now, are they because of the software or are they because of the hardware? Because it's possible that you may not see as many changes as you would like at WWDC next week, just because the first generation Apple Watch hardware is too slow to handle the capabilities that we want. Anybody who's used an Apple Watch knows, and for those of you that haven't, if you go to the home screen and try to launch a third-party app, it's an excruciating experience. Uh, you're better off just taking your phone out of your pocket and opening it up and doing something there 
because yeah. the the apps just load very slowly. Now I, I read a Guardian article this morning that was pretty much about that. Uh, the the author had given up wearing the Apple Watch after nine months of daily wear because he found out that the only things he really wore it for were dark sky notifications, complications on the watch face to see what the temperature was and whether or not it was going to rain. And that stuff Apple does really well. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, the watch faces, the complications, um, the notifications are all fantastic. As you dig deeper into the watch, that's where it starts to fall apart. Uh, the glances are not great. The layout interface, having to swipe through them, it's not super convenient. Um, you'd be better off just having three or four glances on your Apple Watch. Once you get beyond that, it's just not intuitive and not worth it, and and it's still kind of slow. And then when you go to the so-called home screen with the uh, layout of apps, uh, it just gets worse from there. Um, navigating and then opening an app and then waiting, 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 and then it either crashes or doesn't load properly. I'll give you a great example. I use RunKeeper. Um, I tried running for a while, uh, with just my watch, which was actually not that bad. I was surprised. After watchOS 2 came out, um, apps like RunKeeper could do run tracking on their own without the need for a phone connected. Of course, it's guessing your distance based on movement because it doesn't have GPS, but it was not too bad in terms of accuracy. You could load music directly onto the watch, didn't need your phone. Uh, but it's still, I mean, the app crashes, uh, loses your data, that kind of stuff. And one of the things, because I've gone back to running with my phone now, because I switched to iPhone SE, it's less bulky on my arm, so I run with my watch and my phone. And I finally just gave up on using RunKeeper on the watch, because it sucks. It doesn't load fast, it doesn't work right. Sometimes I'll load RunKeeper on my, I, I figured out that if I load RunKeeper on my phone first, and then open the RunKeeper app on my watch, they don't sync properly. So it will not show me on my watch that RunKeeper is running on my phone. And then so I will mistakenly hit uh, start run on my watch, and then that pauses it on my phone. And then I'll finish you know, a three-mile run, look at my phone, and then it says that I haven't even left where I started. So, yeah, but that's that's a RunKeeper flaw, not a watch flaw. No, that is incorrect. This is this is with every single third-party watch app. It's not a okay. RunKeeper flaw. The the platform and uh, the way that it's been done is atrocious. Uh, mm. It's it's just bad. The third-party app experience on the Apple Watch is just bad. And there's been a lot of talk lately about maybe Apple shouldn't have allowed third-party apps on the watch at launch. And I have to agree with that because this, the core stuff that it does is great. The app experience is bad. It, it doesn't. I, I will send you a pebble. It, the app experience <laughs> on the pebble is not that bad, actually. And we've talked That's about. That's what I'm saying. I'll send before, you a pebble. Before the Apple Watch was announced, you and I had talked about the thing that I liked the most about RunKeeper on Pebble was it knew there was no real interaction required. If I loaded RunKeeper on my phone and I started running it, RunKeeper would essentially hijack the pebble. By default, showed me my pace, showed me my distance. I didn't have to press anything on the watch. I didn't have to do anything. And it just worked. Uh, you don't have that level of convenience with the Apple Watch in the way that it's currently implemented. There should be, and I, I realize Apple doesn't want to allow apps to just take over your watch because that could be a nightmare of an experience, right? But there are certain contexts, and maybe you have an opt-in or you, you limit it to fitness well, apps they, or whatever. Ju just as there's a VoIP context for the phone that says that voice applications can stay running in the background so right. they can receive calls, 
you need to have uh, some awareness of what your context is for the watch and allow it to adjust properly. Yeah, I mean, really, you should be by default. If I open RunKeeper on my phone and say I'm going for a run, my watch should be displaying RunKeeper from that moment on until I stop the run, period. Yeah, and that's that's the behavior that they have between the phone and CarPlay, for example. If you're connected to a CarPlay system in the car and you launch an app from the dashboard, it launches that app on the phone. And, and the reverse is true, too. If you launch an app on the phone, it opens that app on the dashboard. Which is the way that it should be. And, and here, here's another example of just tiny things that aren't really representative of real-world use. So when you're running or exercising or whatever you're doing, what is one task that you're very likely to be doing in tandem with running a fitness app? Well, I don't actually use fitness apps. So you'll have okay, to tell but, me. Well, you'd be listening to music, right? Okay. So, I mean, those go hand in hand. People go to the gym, they have headphones and they're listening to music. People go for a run, yes. they have headphones and they listen to music. These are things that go I've hand in hand. I've never set foot in the gym, but I take your word for it. <laughs> okay, well, if you <laughs> if you want to go from, for example, Apple's fitness app or the RunKeeper app or whatever to the music controls, well, I'm in a third-party app. I got to hit the home button on the on the on the digital crown. That'll take me back to the display of apps. Now, at this point, I can press it again and go back to the watch face, swipe up to glances and then swipe over to the music glance to pause or skip forward a track. That sounds like work. Or I can in the display of apps, choose the music app, then choose playlist, then choose another playlist. But it's one of those things where. I mean, I realize why you can't access the glances from everywhere, because if you made swipe up from the bottom always uh, bring up glances, then third-party apps would be limited in what they could do. Then third-party apps couldn't use the swipe up from the bottom feature, right? Because you have such limited screen real estate. But it, it's just one of those things where it just makes so much sense. I should be able to access my music controls very quickly from a fitness app. And, and you've hit it. The real problem is that – so when we talk about iPhone apps – the, the the advice used to be that if it takes more than three taps to accomplish what you set out to accomplish, that you blew it. Right. Anything more than three taps deep is too deep to use. What's the rule for the watch? Is it even less than that because the watch yes. is that much of a, of a personal experience? It is experience. less than that, yes. You should, you should uh, be so able to – So everything that you intend to do has to be available from within two taps. Everything that you intend to do with the watch should be available really with no taps – the watch should be smart enough to allow you to use it without even touching it. It should know when you raise your wrist that you want this information, that you want this displayed to you. It should be contextually aware of certain things. It should just know it. And You've gone back to Meta Watch. You know that, right? But that's – this is what it should do. You should be interacting with the watch as little as possible because the experience of interacting with the watch is not a pleasant one. And there's no way to make it a pleasant experience when you have a screen that small. For example, if I get a text message and I raise my wrist and I see a text message on there, I should be able to immediately start dictating a response to that text message. I shouldn't have to press a button or um, do anything, really. If I'm holding my wrist up, the watch knows that I'm looking at it, and I give it a specific you know, reply with or, hey, Siri, or something like that, then it should just be working. I shouldn't even have to put a finger on it. It should just do what I need it to do. If I uh, have a grocery list and I go to the grocery store, my phone knows where I am. My watch is connected to my phone. When I raise my wrist, it should just 
either know that I'm at the grocery store or whatever, if you enter in the location for it, if you choose to do that, or at least give me a complication in the bottom corner to quickly access my grocery list. I mean, it should just be as little work as possible to give me the information that I need in that moment. Think about what are the advantages of having a screen on your wrist? Okay, fitness, we got that. We know that. It tracks your steps. It does it silently in the background, your heart rate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great. But then beyond that, what does it do? I get a text message. I get a, I get a tap on my wrist. I raise my wrist. I read the message. Well, what do I want to do now? I want to reply to it. Well, I can interact with it or I can just take my phone out of my pocket, which I do most of the time. I just don't use it. And the dictation's slow. For example, using it with HomeKit in my house, I can talk to my watch and tell it to turn off the lights. But as I've said before, one, two, three, four. I mean, it's just like it's a slow process. You're waiting at least five seconds you're for it to using even the, the hue lights to do it. Right. But it's using HomeKit. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The, the, the watch has to because it offloads a lot of the processing to the phone. It doesn't do a lot of the processing on it for battery reasons. So this is why, as I was saying before, I'm curious to see how many improvements they can make with a hypothetical watch OS 3 and how many of them are going to require an advanced hardware to solve it. Because I have to imagine that some of the problems right now in terms of slowness of third-party apps and slow responsiveness of Siri are related to the limited hardware and the ability to cram it into a small space and still give you a day of battery life. I, I have to wonder if maybe uh, next generation hardware is going to be required to make these kind of improvements that they need. Because as it stands right now, my phone is finding my phone to use HomeKit, to track runs, to reply to text messages is an infinitely better experience. It, I mean, the one thing that the watch could offer is the convenience that I'm always wearing it and it's always there and it's always listening. And it doesn't even have that because it takes so long that it's it's more convenient for me to dig into my pocket and take out my phone or find my phone wherever it is and do that. So it needs the watch needs to be as convenient as possible, as little as you need to interact with it. Ideally, you if you have a perfect app and a perfect scenario on your watch, you would never have to touch the screen. Do you like using it for Apple Pay? Uh, yeah, it's great. But again... <sighs> Thank heavens we found something. Uh, no, I, I like using it for notifications. I, I like my Apple Watch. I wear it every single day. I like using it for uh, fitness. Um, but I mean, again, with with fitness, I've gotten uh, to a point now where I don't even bother loading RunKeeper on the watch. I just use it on yeah. my phone because it's just not worth it. And that is the worst possible crime for the Apple Watch. That's something that it should be doing very easily, presenting me with my pace information, um, and, and allowing me to control my music, it's not even worth it. It's easier for me to take my phone off my arm and, and interact with it that way. That is what they need to fix. Just simple, basic stuff, which other products have done. Pebble has done it. Even MetaWatch, for all of its flaws, did uh, some stuff that that the Apple Watch has not done. Um, you know, third-party watch faces are going to be coming. Complications are going to get better. Hopefully, they can sort out the app screen and uh, the glances and stuff like that. But really, it's just presenting me with information when I need it and responsiveness of the device. If they can, if they can nail those, then this is going to be a must-have product. But until they get there, it's not going to be realizing its full potential. All right. Well, I swear, dear listeners, I swear that I didn't mean to get off sidetracked on the watch. 
Well, we're not sidetracked. I, I mean, this is, <laughs> but this is the this is the honestly the platform that needs the most attention right now of Apple's. Right? Obviously, iOS is their most important platform. The Mac is mature, but you know the obvious things like Siri coming. But the watch is, and, and TVOS works pretty well. There's not a lot of problems with TVOS. But the watch is where it's an entirely new platform. They've never done anything like this before. It's an entirely new interface. Everything about it is new. And they're still kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't. And so that's why I'm most excited to see what they do with the watch next week, because we really have no idea. We have no idea what's coming. And they have a lot of potential here to not only fix the problems they have, but really dictate where the wearable devices market is going. Definitely, definitely. And and the smartwatch as a field as a whole is one that we've has been around for a while, but is historically not really found what it's good at, that it's it's not caught on with everyone. Yeah, what does this so, product exist for? Why do I need it is the one thing everybody says. What would I do with an Apple Watch? Yeah, we're still figuring it out. So are they. I want to take a moment to talk about Harry's. So Harry's is a shaving experience where you get a beautiful razor, you get shaving cream, and you get blades that are super sharp, and they provide a close and comfortable shave. And I used it this morning, and to be honest, it it came in a really nice box, it was a good gift set, and the razor was nice in the hand. It was a weighted black handle, and there was a razor stand for it. And instead of just, you know, tossing the, the, the razor anywhere in the bathroom and stuff like this, it felt like for once it had a home. So it was a beautiful kind of thing and yet practical. The limited edition Father's Day shave set that Harry's shipped includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, the moisturizing formula foaming shave gel, and three blade cartridges and a travel cover for $40. And it comes in a sleek, giftable box with the option to add custom engraving and a personalized card. Harry's offers a great shave at a fair price. So you get five crafted blades, you get a flex hinge and a lubricating strip, and it's guaranteed. And a full refund if you're not happy. And it costs $2 a blade or less, which is half the price of the leading brand in stores. So please remember to go to Harry's if you're a fan of the Apple Insider Show. That's Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase if you go to harrys.com slash insider. And they have free shipping for Father's Day that ends on Friday. So act now. That's harrys.com slash insider to get $5 off and get dad something he'll actually use for this Father's Day. You want to talk hardware? Talk hardware, Neil. So let's go through the rest of WWDC. So it's a software-focused, developer-focused conference, not expecting new hardware at the event, but... But but wait, there's been some new noise about MacBook Pros, though, hasn't there? Correct. Um, so this is where you got to kind of read between the lines and figure out what's going on. Um, if you had asked me last week if we were going to see any new hardware at WWDC, I would have said no. And I still don't think it's likely. I'd put the odds of new hardware at WWDC. Um, well, l- let me let me, let me me put it this way. The odds of new hardware being announced at WWDC, I'd say less than 50-50. The odds of new hardware launching at WWDC, I'd say basically non-existent. By, by launching, you mean available for purchase? Well, you think about how Apple does stuff. They announce a new iPhone and it's out next week. They don't. They don't announce it and then go, it's coming six months from now. They'll do that when they do a new platform like the Apple Watch or iPad when it was first announced, et cetera. Uh, And the Mac Pro they did a few years ago pre-announced because it was a developer-focused thing. But generally speaking, Apple says new MacBooks are coming, get them at the store today is kind of how they do their business. So one scenario in which they might pre-announce hardware, which was rumored this week, which I'm kind of buying at this point as a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but uh, new MacBook Pros 
uh, might be announced at WWDC, but not launched until later. Uh, the rumor specifically says August, but even it might even really be later than that. Now, why would Apple do that? Well, if you believe the rumors, which I do on this point, um, Apple is going to replace the function keys on the MacBook. And they are going to have an OLED touch bar display uh, above the keyboard on a brand new, spanking new design MacBook Pro. Now, the reason that they might want to pre-announce that hardware at WWDC to developers is, well, if you start to think about why the heck would you put a screen above the keyboard, uh, that a touch-sensitive screen above the keyboard uh, that replaces the function keys? Well, presumably, uh, they would become dynamic with certain apps. Uh, Third-party apps could then uh, display buttons as needed when their app is open, um, allowing new functions and capabilities that you couldn't do necessarily with traditional static keys. Um, yeah. So that, that's a scenario where I could see Apple pre-announcing and saying, start writing your apps now. Here are the developer tools in the new Mac OS to take advantage of this new hardware that's coming next month or in two months or whatever. Right. Now, it's worth, it's worth as we talk about this one, to recall the history of touchscreens in Apple. You know, if you think back to the, the old days, the days of 2004, 2005, when we had the 12-inch PowerBook G4, if you think back to those days, there was a company, I think its name was called Touchworks, and they had a replacement keyboard. And their replacement keyboard was basically an entire capacitive touch surface with places for keys silkscreened on it. And it had a thin flex circuit that would plug into the USB port on the side of the computer. And using this, you would replace your entire keyboard with a touch cap sensed giant trackpad that acted like a keyboard. And Apple bought that company and discontinued that product and then used that technology to build it into the screen of the first iPhone. So we've come full circle, if this rumor comes true, by having that technology back on the laptop. Well, the initial rumor that came about the MacBook is that it's going to launch in the fourth quarter of the year. So there's a lot of uncertainty going on right now because the the rumor that came out this week saying uh, June announcement, August launch – actually said that Apple's going to announce two new notebooks. They said they're going to announce new MacBook Airs, and they're going to announce a, a new MacBook Pros as well. I don't buy that. The MacBook Air is dead. The MacBook Air exists solely to achieve a low sub $1,000 price point for Apple's notebook lineup. But much like the uh, MacBook Pro with optical disk drive, which remains in the product in the company's has remained in the company's lineup for years, um, as a low cost option, uh, it is not uh, something that is going to be updated because the new design is the 12 inch MacBook. So the rumor is that there might be a new MacBook Air, but they're going to have them in 13 and 15 inch sizes. I think that what it is, because obviously when you're working in the supply chain and these leaks come out of the supply chain, you don't know what the name of the product is going to be, what the branding is going to be. I think that uh, people are just seeing a new, thinner MacBook, MacBook Pro and calling it a new MacBook Air. And I think that these products are actually one and the same. The MacBook Air, I don't think, is going to be updated. The 11 and 13-inch models will uh, continue on until Apple end of life some, but they're not going to see any significant hardware updates. The MacBook Pro is due for a thinner chassis, USB-C ports, Thunderbolt 3, and that sort of stuff. Um, and also, the rumor is this OLED touch bar. So... If this week's rumor proves accurate, then you might see MacBook Pros announced next week, but I find it highly unlikely that they would launch next week. 
the, the question becomes what what is the purpose of this OLED touch bar? Uh, and that's something that Apple's going to have to explain because I'm pretty skeptical um, of the idea of losing dedicated volume buttons on my Mac, which I use all the time, and dedicated brightness controls as well. Um, to have those be virtual buttons uh, seems a little weird. And also to potentially have those buttons disappear when I open a third-party app and then I lose my volume control hardware uh, seems a little difficult as well. Well, and if you look at where they've put that on the mock-ups, that's exactly where the power button goes. And right above the delete key. Perhaps so. this is a way for them to integrate Touch ID as well, because uh, it's rumored that the new MacBook Pros are going to have Touch ID secure logins. Maybe that'll be found in the OLED touch bar. I don't really know. Um, it, 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 we need more information at this point. We have some. We have half the picture. I think is really what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, you can see, you know, there have been hardware leaks showing, um, as you said, where it would go and, and what it's going to kind of look like. Um, and also the hardware leaks suggest that just like the 12-inch MacBook, they're going to get rid of MagSafe and have charging and data go through a USB-C port, which if that happens, I'm going to be livid. Uh, you you hate that. I know you hate that. Ugh, it's terrible. That well. And then the, uh, you guys touched on the podcast. We've had MagSafe since 2005 and it's great and now we have the smart connector on the ipad which charges the ipad so why are we going away from magnetic charging and power and data huh just if, get yeah. rid of magsafe and make a smart connector no yeah stupid yeah so the other hardware right. what else? What else we is got? uh you guys covered it last week but we'll talk about it again because it was nonsense the uh thunderbolt display with 5k retina resolution uh, oh integrated dear god graphics do we have card. to talk about this one no i just i, I hate when people make stuff up so basically, that was one of those things where there was talk about, wouldn't it be nice if Apple did this? Um, and that turned somehow into a rumor of Apple is going to do this, even though it wasn't really based in any sort of reality. Um, not coming next week. So if you saw that rumor of a graphics card in a Thunderbolt display that would soup up your uh, MacBook uh, when plugged in and give it a, a, its own graphics card, um, while that is technically possible and would be amazing, not happening. So let me let me say this. Do you think that it is important to Apple's success that they make displays? I, I mean, standalone Personally, displays? No. Your, your opinion, yes. Standalone displays. No. I mean, obviously, displays are a big part of Apple's business. Um, well, certainly the, because they're integrated into the iPad and the iPhone and the laptop, whatever. But is, is there a reason, a business reason that you see that requires Apple to make standalone displays? To cater to the pro market, developers. The same pro market that the Mac... Pro hasn't been updated in for how long? Right. I mean, it's it's not a area of serious concern for them. But, you know, would I love it? And we've talked about it before, um, the capabilities of Thunderbolt to allow for external graphics cards. People have even hacked um, their Mac with uh, external EVGA or whatever, uh, EPC, PCI Express slots um, to allow external graphics cards, kind of hacking OS 10, making it work with windows on a Mac, that sort of thing. So technically you can do it. There is the bandwidth with Thunderbolt to allow for an external graphics card. Um, and I would love it. Uh, imagine buying a 12 inch MacBook, being able to use it on the go, long battery life, enough to do word processing, check your email, come home and dock it, play a game, do final cut pro 10 on a 5k display kind of thing. That'd be awesome. But, um, you know, I don't think that Apple uh, really cares that much about that. I think that's a very niche market. I think it's a commodity market. Right. You can buy that display from Sharp or whoever. Well, not Sharp anymore, but whoever, right? That that display, that 5K display or whatever, is, is someone else is going to make that. And that's not a critical thing for Apple to make. And my contention is this. 
Apple can get out of making standalone displays the same way they got out of making standalone digital cameras like the Quick Cam, the same way they got out of making laser printers all those years ago, that this is not a part of Apple's future. Yeah, would I love to have a Thunderbolt display with its own graphics card, with a high-end speakers in it, AirPlay integration connects over Wi-Fi, can connect my phone to it and stream stuff even when a computer's not connected? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, you could have that, you know, God forbid I say Apple television, but I mean, you could even have that be a great bedroom TV, 30-inch, um, you know... <sighs> Connect your phone to it and I beam stuff to it. I didn't realize that I had Gene Munster on the call. <laughs> I mean, it would be a great product, but I don't see Apple um, in a rush to release that. They may still yet, but it's not coming next week. Okay, let's let's wrap this up. What are your last thoughts? You know, like I said, don't expect hardware. If they do announce hardware, it's probably not going to be launching immediately. It's a developer-focused event. You can count on improvements to Siri and expanded availability of Siri. You can likely count on improvements to Maps. You can likely count on HealthKit expansions. You can count on Apple Music improvements, user interface, iTunes. Uh, there's also uh, expectations that the Photos apps for both iOS and OS X are going to get upgrades, adding some features that were cut from the transition from iPhoto. Um, maybe the ability to hide built-in apps. Um, that kind of stuff, those kind of incremental improvements is kind of small, but uh, valuable improvements are what you can expect. The real wild card for me, because um, I don't really know what else you could do with Apple TV and I don't see them introducing uh, some sort of cable cutting subscription service because that would have leaked already because the content owners, they would have to negotiate with so many parties. The information would get out ahead of time. I just don't see it happening. Apple TV doesn't have a huge amount of room for improvement. Um, you know, they could certainly make some tweaks and there are a number of incremental improvements I can think of there, but really the potential for, uh, really shaking things up and rethinking the format is on the watch. And I think that's where Apple has the biggest upside surprise potential, um, uh, in terms of, uh, giving us something that we don't see coming kind of blindsiding us. And I hope they do. Well, Neil, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this is Neil N E I L, and I am on Apple Insider, where you can uh, read my stuff every day. Fantastic! I'm Victor Marks. I'm at V Marks on Twitter. This has been the Apple Insider podcast, and if Neil wears a Pebble watch next week, we'll tell you all about it on the next episode of the Apple Insider podcast. <laughs>